Thank you for tuning in to the Bread of the Word podcast. Bread of the Word is an online ministry striving to feed people the life-sustaining bread of God's Word. Bread of the Word exists for the reclamation of the Bible in the heart, mind, and walk of all the saints of God, for it is the Bible itself which is the ultimate standard by which people are to live and honor God. Thank you for tuning in. This is Bread of the Word. back to the Bread of the Word podcast, Reclaiming the Bible and Exalting Christ, one verse at a time. My name is Tyler, and we are continuing our study in the book of Ecclesiastes. We will be opening up in chapter 2 today. So without further ado, let us dive into the first 11 verses of chapter 2. And it says, I said to myself, go ahead, I will test you with pleasure, enjoy what is good. But it turned out to be futile. I said about my laughter, it is madness. And about pleasure, what does this accomplish? I explored with my mind the pull of wine on my body. My mind still guiding me with wisdom and how to grasp folly until I could see what is good for people to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. I increased my achievements. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself and planted every kind of fruit tree in them. I constructed reservoirs for myself from which to irrigate a grove of flourishing trees. I acquired male and female servants and had slaves who were born in my house. I also owned livestock, large herds and flocks, more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. I also amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I gathered male and female singers for myself and many concubines, the delights of men. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem, and my wisdom also remained with me. All that my eyes desired, I did not deny them. I did not refuse myself any pleasure, for I took pleasure in all my struggles. This was my reward for all my struggles. When I considered all that I had accomplished and what I had labored to achieve, I found everything to be futile and a pursuit of the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. So in this, we are talking about pleasure. And this ties into what we talked about last week with the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Here, um, Solomon is giving attention to what others would call the lust of the flesh. And he, he describes it as what moder modern translations render as pleasure. But a more accurate rendering of that word pleasure is the word mirth, which literally means merriment or gayness or gladness, often accompanied with laughter. And so Solomon is continuing to guide the reader through a critical analysis of different aspects of life under the sun. And here he directs his attention to entertainment, to happiness in material things. 
Now, when we hear that word pleasure, we automatically go to certain definitions, but the word Solomon uses in this cultural context meant merriment. He's referring to enjoyment, to a happiness that is driven by entertainment or enjoyment. Luke uses a very similar word in his gospel, in, verse, in chapter 12, verse 19 through 21, and he says, I will say to my soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. That same root word is we translate here as merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose they will be? Whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So Luke uses a very similar Greek word um, for pleasure. But he uses it as it relates to the feeling of pleasure. But Solomon is describing a mindset. The way that we set our minds on acquiring pleasure. And what does Solomon say of this pursuit? It was vanity. Hevel. It is the, but the wind. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? The endless pursuit of pleasure causes us to ask the same question. Hedonism is not sustainable. And we too must ask the question, what use is it? What is the use of, of entertainment, of pleasure? And we come back to that opening line of this book. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, vanity of vanities. All is vanity. In short, all is done in vain. There is no lasting fruit for these efforts. Pleasure does not last. Verse 3, I searched with my heart. We talked about last week about how he was applying his the very core of his being to this discovery journey. When I search with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly, till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks, and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I brought male and female slaves, and had slaves who were even born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. And he's, he's given us a list of things that he's done, things that he's tried to find pleasure in. And I think John Currid, in his commentary on Ecclesiastes, sums up this list very well. And he puts it, One matter that we ought to note in particular is exactly for whom was Solomon amassing these riches. Eight times in five verses, he tells us that he did these things, quote, for myself. Here is a blatant exposure of the meaning of materialism. There is absolutely nothing altruistic in this activity. It is not as if the preacher is gathering things for his nation, or for his family, or for the temple. What we see is naked greed as a means to find purpose in life. It is a gospel of selfishness. A number of years ago, a movie came out called Wall Street. In a most poignant scene, 
a corporate raider played by Michael Douglas, is pictured as speaking to the investors of a company he is trying to seize. He tells them that if he succeeds, then their stock prices will increase significantly. And, quote, isn't that what you want? Greed is good. Greed is the American way. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the core of much of what is wrong with our world. This is sin. Jeremiah 17 says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart, and test the mind, to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Like the partridge that gathers a brood that she did not hatch, so is he who gets riches, but not by justice. In the midst of his days they will leave him, and at the end he will be a fool. It says in Psalm 24 that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He has established it. And everything is God's. And so when we acquire for ourselves, like Solomon did, when we run down the list trying to find things to sustain us, to fulfill us, to make us happy, and it's all inward focused, we've elevated gifts above the giver. We've elevated the stuff of the earth above the one who made the earth and everything in it. And this is precisely what Solomon has done. When we look at that list, we see beautiful gardens, we see um, reservoirs, and we see animals and livestock. We see the acquiring of slaves and servants and private entertainers, which is wicked in ways that we can all recognize this is not good. He is exploring every possible avenue except the one he should be exploring to come to what is true and what his purpose is. And this actually puts him in direct violation with what God had decreed a king to be. If we turn to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 17, God, through Moses, speaking by the Spirit through Moses, God promises to instill a king. And he gives a blueprint for what that king must be. And this is ultimately fulfilled in Christ because there was not a single king of Israel who filled this completely. But Christ did during his time on earth. And so in picking up verse 14, it says, When you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me, like all the nations that are around me, you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers, you shall set his king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself, or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart run away. Nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law, the Torah, the first five books in the Bible, approved by the Levitical priests. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, 
that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers and that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. Solomon did not meet this model. And this pursuit that we see of this laundry list of things he acquired means he's not acting like a good king. Because he's acquired all these things for himself. He's elevated himself above his kinsmen. And this is actually something that the prophet Samuel, sorry, the judge Samuel, one of the last judges in the Old Testament, predicted would happen if they if they had a king rather than God. What do kings do? They make tyrants. They, make, they become tyrants. They make slaves of their people. They acquire all these things. They are not on the same footing as you. And Solomon has done exactly that. And he's amassed all of this stuff trying to, to validate this hole he's got inside of him because of sin. And Jesus called out the Pharisees, who were likewise in a lot of ways. And he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. They've cleaned the outside, but the inside is, is dirty. So where is the point found? Where is our purpose? Where is this, this thing we're looking for in all the wrong places? It's found outside of us. G.K. Chesterton hits the nail on the head in his book Orthodoxy and puts it this way. A man was meant to be doubtful about himself, but undoubting about the truth. This has been exactly reversed. Now a man, nowadays, the part of a man that a man does assert is exactly the part he ought not assert. Himself. The part he doubts is exactly the part he ought not to doubt. The divine reason. Psalm 43 says, O send out thy light and thy truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to thy holy hill and to thy tabernacles. Then I will go to the altar of God. Unto God my exceeding joy. Joy and fulfillment, these are found outside of ourselves because they are found in God. And this is why Solomon did not find it in gardens and status and wealth and all of these things. These don't, these are not the big picture. There's something bigger here that he was missing. Ecclesiastes 2, verse 9, So I became great, and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. My wisdom remained with me, and wherever my, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity." and a striving after wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. There is nothing to be gained under the sun. 
So what is to be gained? Something not of this world. If the focus should not be on pleasing ourselves, as Solomon did, what should the focus be? Westminster Catechism um, answers that question in the very first line, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Psalm 73 says, Whom have I in heaven but thee? There is nothing on earth that I desire besides thee. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So our pleasures, our way of going about seeking pleasure is largely sinful and broken and damaged. It comes from a place of sin and selfishness. So now let us give time to consider what the Bible considers the pleasures of God. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Verses 3 through 10 read, Blessed is the God of our God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundations of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the Beloved One. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, that he proposed in Christ as a plan for the right time, to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. So Paul demonstrates that our grafting into the household of God through the person and work of Christ was according to the pleasures of God. Our salvation, our being saved from sin and reconciled to God was for his pleasure. A Jewish translation of this same passage holds a certain beauty. And it says, in the Messiah, the Hebrew word for Christ, he chose us in love before the creation of the universe to be holy and without defect in his presence. He determined in advance that through Yeshua, the Messiah, we would be his sons in keeping with his pleasure and purpose so that we would bring him praise commensurate with the glory of the grace he gave us through the beloved one. In union with him, through the shedding of his blood, we are set free. Our sins are forgiven. This accords with the wealth of the grace he has lavished on us, and all his wisdom and insight. He has made known to us his secret plan, which by his own will he designed beforehand in connection with the Messiah, and he will put into effect when the time is ripe. His plan to place everything in heaven and on earth under the Messiah's headship. Ambrose, a bishop from the 4th century, ties this passage to the Garden of Eden in this way. We ought not, therefore, to despair of the members adhering to their head, especially since from the beginning we have been predestinated by Jesus Christ to adoption as children of God 
in himself, which predestination he has ratified, instructing us that the prediction made from the first, that a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh, is a sacrament of Christ in the church. If therefore the union of Adam and Eve is a great sacrament, which relates to Christ and the church, it is certain that as Eve was born of the bones of her husband, and flesh of his flesh, so we are members of the body of Christ, bone of his bones, and flesh of his flesh. And what Ambrose means there is that as great as marriage was as an institution of God, it is, it's a parable that it illustrates to us the way that we become one with Christ as the church. We are the bride of Christ, and we are bound to Christ as though in marriage. And union with Christ is the centerpiece of the gospel. That we can be in Christ. Depraved, wretched sinners such as us can be in Christ. Ephesians 2, verse 19, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God, by the Spirit. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purposes. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is for the pleasure of God. God is pleased to bring us into his fold as his sheep. That we are grafted into the people of God. Despite our sins, despite our wickedness, despite our selfishness, despite all the ways that we look down the wrong avenues, God is gracious to bring us in. Not as aliens and strangers, but as adopted sons with an inheritance in Christ. Marcus Bart, in his commentary on Ecclesiastes, puts it this way, When God's good pleasure is mentioned, his willingness and joy in doing good are indicated. The happiness that accompanies a radiant good will is implied. Those singing God's praise, as in Ephesians 1, 3, 6, 12, and 14, are not inventors of joy, but rather by their pleasure in God, they respond to God's pleasure in doing good. Not a grim Lord watching over the execution of his predetermined plan, but a smiling Father is praised. He enjoys imparting his riches to many children. So then, we see that through these texts, we see the question of pleasure is not merely internal, but external. The sort of pleasure and fulfilling joy that we seek can never be found in the exercise of our own sinful passions, but only through the new creation, as we are conformed to the image of Christ and his will 
becomes ours when we take pleasure in that which pleases a good God. In John chapter 3, Jesus tells Nicodemus, except you be born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Except you are born of water and spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. When he says born again, that is a phrase that the Pharisees used in several respects. There were several ways that a Jew could be, quote, born again. And Nicodemus was um, met the standard for several of them. The only one he couldn't be was to re-enter his mother's womb and start the process all over again. But he checked off every possible box. And he still was not born again as he needed to be. He was not truly born again. He had a title of, quote, born again. But he was not born of the Spirit. And you and I, much like that, we, need to, we must be born again. Otherwise, we cannot enter the kingdom of God. We cannot even see the kingdom of God. So let us fix our eyes on the pleasures of God. Let us be conformed to the image of God. Because he laid down his life that the penalty of our sins would be atoned for. That he would receive as an inheritance the nations and bring many sons into glory. And we are the thing for which he died. Let us walk in that. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Bread of the Word podcast. I pray that it has been beneficial to your walk with God and that he has called you into a deeper relationship and fellowship with himself. If you want to hear more from Bread of the Word, feel free to hit that subscribe button down at the bottom. Get notified about new content whenever we go live. Um, you can also watch us on Rumble Video and YouTube, or you can listen on your favorite podcast platforms. Um, you can also find us on social media. If you want to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Gab, links will be provided in the bio um, if you would like to check those out. And there will also be a message in the comment section, um, a free gospel message for download entitled The Two J's, The Joy of the Potter and the Journey of the Clay. That's something that I've written. That's something God laid on me to write and then send out. And so I'm not making anything off of it. I'm not selling it. It is free for you to read and share. We need a further saturation of the gospel in our world, in our culture. And it starts right here. Bread of the Word Ministries exists for the reclamation of the Bible and the exaltation of Christ through the reading and teaching of His holy transformative word. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. God bless. Matthew 4.4 4.